Hello to my listeners. This is Pastor Randy Starkey. I did these teachings on the end times and the return of Christ in several series several years ago when I was pastoring at Victory Church in Peavely, Missouri. One third of the Bible is prophecy, so we really need to be familiar with it, especially as it relates to our soon coming future. Although a few of my comments in some of these messages may be a bit dated, and a few of my ideas are still developing, the truth of God's Word never changes. And there are at least three things that I remain strongly convinced of. All three of these I will touch on in these messages. So number one is this. The prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ were fulfilled literally in real life and in real time. So I have no doubt the prophecies concerning the end times and the second coming of Christ will be fulfilled in exactly the same way in real life and in real time as the Bible describes. I believe it is a huge mistake to spiritualize away end time prophecy. The books of Daniel and Revelation are for sure filled with symbolism, but those symbols represent real events that are going to happen in real time. And it's all getting closer. And number two, I believe God's people will be raptured, caught up to be with the Lord before God's wrath is poured out on the terrible sin and evil in our world. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says Jesus delivers us, not just protects us, delivers us from God's wrath to come. However, I don't believe that will exempt us from Satan's wrath and persecution of true believers and the revealing of Antichrist before the rapture happens. That persecution and pressure we are actually beginning to see happen even now. That is why Jesus said things like we must endure to the end, be ready, watch and pray, don't be deceived, and that we must be about our Father's business and not draw back. And then finally, number three is this. God is not done with Israel. Jesus was Jewish. God loves the Jewish people and the land of Israel. When Jesus returns, that's actually where he's going to land, on the Mount of Olives. There's much to say about Israel and the Middle East, and all of that is coming very fast. And so, I, as I said, I will cover all three of these points in these messages. And these are things that we need not be afraid of when we have surrendered our heart and life to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we're walking close to Him. We have His direction, His guidance, His love, His grace, His power. And the Bible even says, look up for your redemption draws nigh. However, in these days, we all need to be walking really close to Jesus. And let me say a word to any of you listening today that maybe you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
Maybe you've even been hurt in church, or maybe it's been all religion to you. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And Jesus wants you to know him. He is the only way to have your sins forgiven. He is the only way that you can get to heaven. None of us can be good enough on our own. He is the only way to really experience victory in your life and be prepared for eternity. He left heaven, came to earth, gave his life on the cross for you, shed his blood for you that you could be saved and be forgiven. The Bible says there's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. He's the true Savior. So I pray you will open your heart to him, receive him as your Lord and Savior. Allow him to forgive your sins so that you can be ready when he returns. It's really not a pretty picture and there is much to be afraid of because God is God and sin must be dealt with. And so without Jesus, we really are in a world of hurt. So open your heart to him today. Hey, a good way to find out more about that, just go over to our church, Victory Church here in Peavely. And uh, uh, they have an awesome, uh, Pastors Dan and Paige Lord are doing a great job. There's an awesome little book there you can pick up free called Fresh Start. It will give you everything that you need to get you going on your walk with Jesus. So all of this is why we must not only be saved, but be spiritually strong, awake, alert, and serving God. That's why I did these teachings. We have to stay strong in Jesus to know what's coming soon in the end times. And like Noah built the ark to the saving of his household, we must stay close to Jesus in the building of his church because the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And that is our forever family. So listen carefully and then check it all out in the Bible for yourself. God's love and blessings to each of you as you dive into these teachings. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, you can open it to the book of Daniel. And Daniel really is, is a book that uh, delves into the subject of prophecy. And, you know, there's several books in the Bible that, that uh, their main focus is prophecy. And Daniel is one of those books that correlates a lot uh, to the book of Revelation. And then, of course, there's many other passages in the minor prophets, the major prophets, and uh, in some of Jesus' teaching, you know, that, that really gets into the realm of prophecy. But uh, prophecy is important because God does want to give us direction in our lives, and he does want us to understand, I believe, you know, some of the things that are going on in history and that are, that, that are yet to come and, and the whole panorama of human existence. Um, now, I, I believe there are some people that get so caught up in prophecy they forget to live their Christian life now. <laughs> so we don't want to do that. But at the same time, when you think about the amount of the scriptures that are dedicated to prophecy, it's obviously an important area and that the Lord wants us to look into that. And so um, I have done a couple other books of the Bible that, that focus a little bit more on Christian living, so I thought I would do one that was um, 
mainly prophecy. And so that's why we're going to uh, take a look at Daniel. This, uh, this little chapter outline is kind of a rough outline of the uh, book of Daniel. And we're going to see that even though this book deals a lot with prophecy, it also deals a lot with Daniel's life and how he was able to live successfully and honorably, you know, before the Lord and to fulfill the purposes and plans of God for his life. So uh, it, it, in many ways, it always does get back to, you know, our daily walk with God. But he does really want us to have that prophetic understanding. We saw that a little bit in Palm Sunday's message, you know, this last Sunday, that we're not only to live a life of praise and a life of prayer, but a life of the prophetic. And actually, Jesus coming into Jerusalem was a direct fulfillment of prophecy. And I didn't have time to get into it in depth on Sunday, but he actually prophesied to Jerusalem that they didn't recognize the time of their visitation and their house was going to be left to them desolate. Well, it didn't happen right then, but it happened 70 years later. 70 years later, we know Rome ransacked uh, Jerusalem and um, basically destroyed it. And they could have avoided that had they just listened to God and obeyed God, you know. So that, that, that whole story of Palm Sunday, of course, is, was very prophetic. And uh, Easter, which we're going to be celebrating this Sunday, of course, was a direct fulfillment of literally hundreds of scriptures prophesied about Messiah, which is a miracle. To think that any book, you know, 66 books of the Bible, 42 authors, with prophecies hundreds of years before things happen, you know, um, it's just incredible. In fact, it takes more faith to not believe in God than it does to believe in God <laughs> when you look at, look at the way the scriptures are put together. So Daniel is in that prophetic vein, um, and it really, um, of course, uh, gets into a lot of things about Christ, but it also gets into things about the end times. It's just a very interesting book. So let's pray and just ask the Lord to bless us and uh, be with us as we go through this study, okay? Father, thank you tonight for your presence here. I thank you for my brothers and sisters that are here, and I thank you for their desire to learn and grow in the Word of God. Lord, to draw closer to you and to understand your plans and your purposes for their lives, Lord, and for each of our lives together, Lord, in the kingdom of God and in the body of Christ. And also, Father, for us to understand your working in history and to understand the things that are coming up ahead in the future, Father. So I pray for your anointing. I pray for you to be with us. Bless our time together tonight as we begin in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Okay, now I also handed out um, a handout there, or two, two different, if we've run out, maybe um, Phyllis could help me out. I think she is already. <laughs> and um, Xeroxing a few more. There's two uh, statue pictures going around, which we're going to get to in chapter 2. And um, I've kind of got five weeks scheduled for this, but we'll see how it goes. It's a lot to cover in five weeks, and um, I'll hit some areas harder than others. If we go six or seven, we'll just see what happens. We'll just, we'll just see how it flows, okay? But we'll go at least five. Now, let's take a look at chapter 1. In chapter 1, I've given a, a title, Daniel's and His Friends' Preparation for Ministry. Um, in the midst of all the prophecy of this book, it, really, it, it, it doesn't happen in a vacuum, but it happens in relation to Daniel's life. You know, he experiences this, and, um, and God has a plan and a purpose for each of us. And actually, although we may not be Daniel... And we may not get the privilege of having a vision that gets recorded in the Bible. Nevertheless, 
there's no such thing as somebody who's not important to God, and God does want a prophetic sense on your life too. Um, if you don't get a vision of the end times, nevertheless, God still wants you to sense his destiny and sense his call in your life. And whatever God does have for you, he will always prepare you for. And so God prepared uh, Daniel and his friends um, for the ministry and the things that happened in their lives. And that's kind of what chapter 1 is all about, is their preparation. So let's pick it up here, and um, let's just read for a little while, beginning. In, I'm reading out of New King James. If you have the NIV or the King James or, or whatever you have, just follow along. They're all close. Okay, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies, and of the wine which he drank, and three, year, three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now, from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He called Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. In fact, we, we, we kind of tend to know them more by their uh, Babylonian names than we do by their, their Hebrew names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's the ones you always remember. Verse 8, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who is appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are, are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you, and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies, and as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all none were found, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. 
And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. So let's talk about chapter 1 just a little bit, and then um, we'll get into chapter 2 where Daniel kind of really begins his ministry and, and Nebuchadnezzar has his dream. But a couple of points here in chapter 1 that, that we want to make. First of all is, is um, Judah was the uh, southern kingdom of Israel. And uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, which was called Israel, had uh, gone into captivity to Assyria around 722 B.C. This time right now, we're right at around 609 B.C. And um, so Israel forsook God first. And uh, Judah hung in there a little bit longer, repented, had some revivals, obeyed God. But eventually, they, um, uh, you know, began to drift away from God. And the Lord had told them, you know, all through, uh, actually, Israel's job, if you will, in the Old Covenant, was to manifest the presence of God and to reveal God to the world. God called a nation. First, he called individuals noah abraham and that but but then of abraham he said i'm going to make of you a great nation and he said i'll exalt you above all the nations of the earth if you just obey me you know god is a good god he's got a blessing but the problem was israel didn't always obey god you know and israel ended up going into captivity and and that was the ten tribes the southern kingdom judah uh in in this story here of daniel is going into captivity too babylon basically came and uh, ransacked Judah and took over Judah. Uh, we don't have time to go there, to, you know, in this study. But Jeremiah had been prophesying to Judah that you better get your act together or you're going to go into captivity, you know. And, um, I mean, we can draw a modern-day parallel to this even in America right now. I believe, I believe God is, is speaking some things to America that we need to repent. We need to listen to him. The church needs to rise up. The whole nation needs to turn to him. Or America. may not happen tomorrow. You know, Jerusalem was ransacked 70 years later from Palm Sunday. But I do believe unless America starts listening to God more than she's listening now, that America's going to face some difficult times ahead. Now, but, but the, the neat thing about this study is, though, is that in the midst of them going into captivity on an individual basis, God was still with Daniel, wasn't he? So Daniel, in his own personal life, even though Judah had gone into captivity, Daniel was maintaining his righteousness before God. And that's always important to understand, no matter what happens to the country you live in, no matter whether your country obeys God, no matter whether certain denominations or certain parts of the body of Christ obey God, you need to make sure you obey God. That's what we need to do. We need to stay close to Him. And, and actually, these four guys um, did that, you know. They, um, they uh, stayed close to the Lord, and the Lord, you know, was really with them. So, and, and, he, and he really blessed them, and, and, and Daniel's ministry became very powerful. And You know, what's interesting here, too, is that um, uh, they had, he, he had favor. He had favor with um, Nebuchadnezzar, who was king of Babylon. And so, um, uh, you know, God, even though he was in a, a culture that, that uh, was certainly not um, after the God of heaven, wasn't after Jehovah God, God still gave Daniel um, favor in the midst of this culture. And um, uh, I, I think that's just, just an interesting point, you know, to see that uh, you can be in any nation. You could be anywhere. You could be in Russia today, which is certainly not a Christian nation, and God can still bless you. 
God can still use you. God can still be with you. And um, God was, was with Daniel. And it's, it's funny. It seems like, you know, um, I don't believe Christians should ever be kind of just like what Jesus said, lukewarm. I think, you know, it's like, here's what happens with Christians a lot of times. If you're really living for God, it's either, it's either like you get favor and God begins to bless you and, and, and prosper you and do great things in your life, or they kill you. <laughs> you know, it's really not much in between, you know. It's like, and we'll see that in the story of Daniel. We'll see one minute Nebuchadnezzar saying, your God's awesome, man. And the next minute, throwing him to the lions, you know, throwing him in the fiery furnace. It's like, there's just no middle ground, you know. And it's, I believe that's the way it should be. You know, when you really preach the God of heaven, the way he, it just, it tends to polarize people. Either they, either they get warmed up and they start listening to you, or they just hate your guts, you know. It's like every demon in every crack comes out. And, um, but Daniel, in this situation, God, you know, was giving him favor. Notice they, they carried away the articles there from the house of God um, into the house of their God. And uh, that's really what you have a lot of times in cultures. It's not a clash of people or, or, or cultures, but it's like it's a clash of, of, um, of uh, whose God is God. How many of you know the whole thing going on right now with, with terrorism and Islam? Those are spiritual issues of whose God. You know, who, what, what really God is going to sit on the throne. And so, uh, anyway, they, you know, in this situation, Judah just didn't honor God. They went into captivity. But God was with Daniel. And um, uh, a couple other points here, maybe just to make real quick, is that, that they, you know, that, that culture, um, they picked out some young men from Israel there, Dan- Daniel and those, uh, the... Uh, um, three other Hebrews there with them, were, were, they were picked as having capabilities and, and, and having qualities. And, you know, it's not, it's not wrong to be recognized by the world as for things that God has put in you. You know, um, these guys were good looking, so that would leave me out. But, <laughs> you know, but uh, they, they, you know, they recognized that they had knowledge. They were uh, quick to understand. And, um, you know, so... Um, the king, there, you know, the king there probably didn't value everything that God valued, but um, you know, it's not it's not wrong if a secular culture, you know, sees some good things in you as a Christian. I mean, there, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And so the king took some of these guys here from Judah and put them with his own guys. And um, now he, the king didn't like all their names, and I won't take time to go into all this. We could spend a lot of time on we won't. But all their name, all the four Hebrew. Uh, Daniel and the three others, their names mean something good about God. And um, so probably uh, Nebuchadnezzar didn't like that, so he renamed them with Babylonian names, which all have to do with Babylonian gods and things like that. So that, that's, I think, why they were renamed is because Nebuchadnezzar didn't, you know, I mean, he has own culture and his own God. But they didn't let that, they didn't let that stop him, you know. And um, uh, sometimes we think, oh, man, you know, I mean, if I... Um, uh, if I have to live in an ungodly culture or stand strong in my own faith in the midst of an ungodly job or an ungodly situation, I, I don't know if I could do that. You know, yes, you can. Yes, you can. God will be with you. They can even rename you. You know, they can even call you the devil. I don't care what they rename you. But, you know, God, how many of you know God lives on the inside of you, right? So, you know, they renamed him, but that didn't seem to phase him. And um, now verse 8 is interesting. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself 
with a portion of the king's delicacies. Now, you have to understand, this is the old covenant. They weren't allowed to eat anything unclean. And probably the king had a lot of things that under the old covenant were considered unclean. You know, shrimp, <laughs> seafood, and all that kind of good stuff, you know. And um, they also, the Jewish people, also in aversion to strong drink, often would dilute their wine, and probably the Babylonians didn't. So Daniel, and off, I'm sure, you know, under the old covenant, they were not allowed to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. Now some of this, in the new covenant, the whole perspective on food changed a little bit. You know, although I will say this, how many of you believe it's good to be health conscious in what you eat? You believe that? I think it's important. You know, but this, this situation here with Daniel was not so much a health issue, um, although vegetables are certainly healthy, and there's no such thing in the, in the Old Testament as an unclean vegetable. There is unclean meats, but there's not unclean vegetables. So you can't hardly go wrong eating vegetables unless you maybe pick a, what's the name of the mushrooms that will kill you? <laughs> you know, there is some, some things like that, you know. So you can, but, um, but basically, there was no such thing as an unclean vegetable, so, you know, they're certainly healthy. But health wasn't the main issue here. It was that he was living under the old covenant and um, didn't want to defile himself. And so he, uh, uh, you know, asked for that, that he could have this other, uh, you know, certain diet. And um, we can see here that God blessed him. And, uh, you know, the point there, of course, is that God is preparing Daniel to really speak for him. God is preparing Daniel for a ministry, and it is interesting that uh, later in this chapter that Daniel seems to be singled out. In verse 17, it says that all four of the young men, God gave them knowledge and skill and all literature and wisdom, but Daniel, or and Daniel, had understanding and visions and dreams. So Daniel seemed to be singled out in a special way to interpret visions and dreams. So the lesson there is, be what you're supposed to be. Don't try to be something you're not, but be everything you're supposed to be. If you're Daniel, then you need to fulfill your ministry, you know, of visions and dreams and prophecy. If you're not Daniel, then you don't have to worry about it, you know. So uh, even, even of the four Hebrew children, Daniel seemed to have, he seemed to be chosen by God in a special way for these visions and dreams. And uh, each one of us will have a unique call from God in different ways. And the key is just fulfill it. And so Daniel... In preparation for that, though, he wasn't going to allow the culture he was in to cause him to compromise his beliefs or faith. All right? And again, it, you can maybe draw some health issues here, but the main point was what was clean and unclean under the old covenant. And that was what he, he, uh, he would not defile himself. And he knew that a lot of the meats of the king would have been offered in their pagan temples, which the Jews were not allowed to eat. And so um, I'm sure you've heard the idea of kosher and stuff like that. Well, you know, Daniel was under the old covenant. So he honored God and he, he obeyed God. And because of that, God blessed him. And um, he was very confident, you know. He had, he had faith in his heart and he really believed that if he honored God, God would bless him. In fact, if you look at verse um, um, 13, he says, Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. He was pretty confident he was going to come out okay, you know. And so, uh, and we can be too. When, we, when, it, when you find yourself in situations, you know, like on the job or in our culture where, where, where society would push you to compromise, don't do it. Because God will bless you if you just honor him. 
you know. And that was, this was all, Daniel was, you could sort of say he was maybe being prepared here and tested a little bit. And so anyway, um, then in verse 17 it says, As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So they were, they were broad-based. I, I, I get concerned every once in a while when I see some Christians getting so narrow they're too spiritual to even read a newspaper. You know, uh, Don't get so super spiritual that you don't stay up on what's going on around you. you know? uh, there's nothing wrong with reading Newsweek. You know? Now, you obviously need to read your Bible. <laughs> you know, that's the most important book. And you need to pray. And uh, Daniel... He, it says here he had understanding in all visions and dreams. So he was a spiritual guy. But actually, of all four of these guys, it says all four of them, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. You know, we have to remember, you know, that as Christians, I mean, there's people, I mean, it's amazing the favor God gave Daniel to relate to the Babylonians who were not a Christian people, you know. And, and of course, the stories get really exciting in here. And, um, and we have to be the same way. There's a, there's a world of people out there that don't know Jesus, that think and live differently than we do, right? And so we, we can't get so, you know, um, how would I say it, ingrown as Christians that we don't ever have any intermingling out there and we don't know what they're thinking and we don't know what's going on. I mean, we need to, it's, um, it's like what Jesus said. You know, he said, Father, I don't pray you take them out of the world. He said, let them be in the world, but keep them from the evil. And so, I mean, I, I just believe God in us is big enough you know, to keep us and protect us from the evil and use us as a witness to help people. Amen? You know, now I'm not saying don't go, don't go do silly things like if you had a problem with being an alcoholic in your past, I wouldn't recommend that you go into a bar every night. You know, I mean, you might be tempting God there. But still, if, if I also don't believe you necessarily have to do like Alcoholics Anonymous tells you to do, every, even though you haven't drank for 20 years, to stand up and confess you're an alcoholic. There's, there, there comes a time where you need to stand up and confess I'm redeemed and I'm a new creature, you know? So we have to realize that God's in us. We can relate to the world. You know, Dan, Daniel was very good at this. He, and God gave him favor and blessed him. And he, even though, um, you know, it would have been great had Israel not had to go into captivity, you know, um, wouldn't it be great if America was a Christian nation and all the schools prayed and, and there was no abortion and all that? Wouldn't that be wonderful, you know? But we don't live in a country like that, do we? So we have to be able to relate to people out there and help bring the things of Christ and actually, Daniel brought some of the things of God to Nebuchadnezzar. So um, they brought him in, you know, and, and they had gone through this training and all that. And I, I love this um, in verse 20. It says, And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them, ten, he's talking about the Daniel and his three buddies, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Isn't that cool? You know, that the Christian who, with the wisdom of God and the understanding of the Word of God, the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, even this king found them ten times better. Now, I won't say there's not a time where in some country that when you're like that, they'll cut your head off. You know? But God gave favor to Daniel, and Nebuchadnezzar recognized that there was something good going on in these guys. But they weren't just, they weren't just super spiritual, you know, fighting fundies, so to speak. You know, they had a good perspective of life, and they knew how to communicate um, the truth of God in a corrupt culture, you know. And, they were, and Daniel was very respectful of the people. You know, he didn't come up to Nebuchadnezzar and say, 
you stupid, dumb, pagan, idiot king. You know, how many of you know he probably would have been dead? So, no, he, he had tact, you know, and uh, I believe it's the King James that actually uses that word tact, that, that um, Daniel was a man of, of tact and wisdom. And so were his three buddies. And the king found them ten times better than the magicians and the astrologers. And, um, you know, people that, that don't know the Lord, uh, they, they're not going to have the insight that a person that knows God can have, you know. And so, anyway, Daniel and, these three, and his three buddies are pretty cool. And, you know, they, they're standing for the Lord. They're not compromising. They're um, walking in wisdom. You know, they're learning kind of what's going on around them. And um, this is like preparation for their ministry, all right? Now, so let's pick it up in chapter 2. And Daniel's um, ministry actually begins. By the way, Jesus, we, don't, we won't go there just yet, but Jesus quoted, um, if you wonder about the authenticity of Daniel and the importance of Daniel, Jesus quoted from the book of Daniel several times in his ministry. So Jesus obviously put a high value on Daniel and the prophecies of Daniel. All right, now, um, picking it up in chapter 2 then, I've called this chapter Daniel's Ministry Begins, and it's uh, Dream uh, interpretation number one. And so let's, uh, let's just pick it up and read some. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. By the way, let me just stop there for a minute. There is... Two, you know, this is pretty basic, but we'll just cover it. There's really two supernatural forces, you know, that are at work. There is God, there is the devil. They're not equal opposites. God's bigger, God's better, and the devil is just a rebel. But he is far more powerful, in, you know, apart from Christ now, far more powerful than either you or I uh, in our present state. And so there are spiritual forces of evil that will try to lead people away from God. They'll try to counterfeit God. They'll try to draw people. They'll try to look good when they're really bad. In fact, there's a new television show out now. I haven't watched it, but I, I, the other night I just caught the beginning of it where they were doing, it was kind of actually eerie actually where they were doing the, what do you call it, when the, the, not the trailer, but the intro. And it's called Medium. Any of you heard of it? And it's just eerie even watching the intro. It's kind of like, it's like the X-Files times two. You know, it's just a weird, just gives you weird vibes just even watching it. But that's a situation, see, where, where there's no question where the enemy is going to try to use that, you know, to lead people away from Christ into other false spiritual things. And, uh, but, the de- you know, the devil has some power. He can't foretell the future, but a lot of times he can guess at it, or he can try to say something's going to happen, and then he himself tries to make it happen. Kind of a deja vu thing, you know. And so there's forces of darkness that do try to influence the future, tell the future. But how many of you know that none of those powers can know the future like God can know it? See, because they just don't have this, they're not on the same level. But they try to counterfeit it. And so that's where you have astrology. Though, you know, people that read their horoscopes, they're opening their lives up to demons because there's spiritual forces behind that that are not from God. Strictly forbidden in Leviticus 19. And so, but there are forces that are there, you know, and, and like people that, that sometimes the police hire, you know, to try to, you know, I mean, some of those demons, they're spiritual beings. They, they see things and know things that we don't know. And so they might even, you know, actually be able to reveal to somebody as a medium, 
And there are people that have, through yielding their lives, have opened themselves up to spirits. And they might even, you know, reveal some information that actually is true and that actually would help solve a case. But just because they do that, how many of you know their ulterior motive is what's really bad, and that's to get people away from Christ and to turn people to themselves? So, um, but anyway, so the king, you know, he's got some, the Babylon, Babylon, um, in Babylon, they were very big in the occult, and their gods were very occultish, you know. And so um, Daniel's living in the midst of that. And so the king gave the command to call all these dudes. And then in verse 3, it says, The king said to them, I, ha I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. Whoa, man, that's pretty heavy duty, isn't it? That's, what, that's what's called an authoritarian culture. And, uh, you know, scholars kind of believe that probably the king felt this dream was maybe an important dream and he didn't trust his own astrologers. And so the only, I mean, because... Um, you know, if he were to tell them the dream, he figured maybe they could just make up any interpretation. And so a lot of scholars feel he purposely would withhold the dream because he figured, well, if these guys really know what they're talking about and can really tell me what this means, they can, if they can tell the future, they can certainly tell the past. And so that's why he was withholding the dream because he, he felt that somehow this dream was important. He didn't want to be fooled. And um, so anyway, verse 6, however, if you tell the dream and its interpretation... You shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. See, he doesn't really trust them, you know, and somehow he knows this is an important dream. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. And so you, you, there again, you can really tell he's not trusting what they've told him. Maybe, maybe he's told him other dreams in the past and he hasn't been happy with the interpretation. But somehow he knows that, that they maybe don't have the goods. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. He said, hey, if they can, they, if they can tell me the dream, then I will believe what the interpretation they would say. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh." For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Verse 14, then with counsel and wisdom, here, here again you see Daniel's tact. I think, I think the King James says tact there, um, but with counsel and wisdom. He's just, he just smart, you know. He's just wise, you know. The Bible says be... Be wise as what? Wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So God wants us to understand, you know, how to, how to deal with different situations. And so, so Daniel didn't, you know, say some stupid super spiritual thing or, you know. It says, with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. 
He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, um, why is the decree from the king so urgent? <laughs> you know, he's just like he's, he's really relating to this guy, you know. Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. See, the king had already given him some time, so Daniel must have been quite persuasive there. Verse 17, then Daniel went to his house and made the, the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So they were seeking mercy from God. They, you know, it's not just a matter, you know, a lot of times we're in situations where, you know, you need to have faith and you need to pray in faith and believe in faith. We preach a lot on faith. But, you know, there's also times where, I mean, how many of you know Daniel didn't have time to even have any faith in this situation? He just said, mercy, <laughs> mercy me. You know, he just, he was crying out to God. That's translated, that means help. <laughs> you know, and so they're calling out to God, you know, but, but they're doing the right thing in that, they're, that he's looking to God. He's not trying to, you know, pull some under the table shenanigans or something. Now, he's very wise, very respectful, very tactful, but he's also very much in integrity, and he's, he's just going to look to God, you know? So that's the right thing to do. Look to God when you're in the hard place, you know, and he's going to come through for you. Verse 19, Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Now, I, wanna, I just want to stop there for a second because, you know, even though it's important that you be wise and, and practical and, and not a weird, you know, super spiritual person, we also need to understand, though, that how many of you know the power of the Holy Spirit is very real? And God can give visions. God can give dreams, you know. And um, he speaks in, in the book of Acts where it talks about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church. It talks there about your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. You know, and it says your sons and your daughters will prophesy. So we need, we need to be like what, what uh, 1 Thessalonians says, don't despise prophesying. You know, visions and dreams and prophesying are very important. They're important in the Bible for understanding history, and they're important in the church for right now. You know, like I was sharing at Palm Sunday, it was really a prophetic word that came to us that had us build a youth center and build a daycare. That was the the word of the Lord for us. That's what he wanted us to do. That, that was his next move for us, you know, to reach out and touch our community. So, and God can speak to you in dreams. He can speak to you in visions. He can speak to you in prophecy, you know. And uh, he'll always confirm it. The Bible says in the mouth of what? Two or three witnesses, every word is established. If someone gives you a personal prophecy, don't run off and try to make it happen. You know, let God confirm it to you. And he's the one who's going to make it happen anyway. You know, it's just more, it's more to build faith and, and help keep you in faith and on the right track. And so, um, you know, so, so Daniel got the answer in a night vision and says, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Huh, he was living a life of praise, wasn't he? He immediately began to thank God. Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. See, Daniel had this sense of divine destiny that, that even though he was under the authority of, the, of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, he said, God, you're the one that's in control. You raise up kings. You put down kings. You know, I'm not going to be afraid in this situation because you're in control. 
And so he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might. That's, and that that's, didn't come from him, you know. And have now made known to me what we ask of you. You have made known to us the king's demand. So he's a man of praise. He's a man of thanksgiving. And, um, you know, he was, and of course, as, he, as they sought the Lord, God gave them um, this uh, king's dream. And uh, so in, in our own lives, you know, both as a church and as individuals, we need to be open to the supernatural guidance and direction and wisdom of God. You have a practical mind. You need to use it. But also remember that there are limits to your practical mind. There's limits to your own abilities. And there's going to be times where God wants to give you supernatural help, supernatural wisdom, supernatural guidance, you know. And Daniel had a great balance of both. He was skilled in all the literature and all that, but he got the answer in a night vision. And God is a spirit, the Bible says. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And revelation of prophecy, revelation of history, understanding what's going to happen in the days ahead is not going to come by our great natural thinking. It's going to come by revelation of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so verse 24. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king. I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said to him, I have found a man. <laughs> this is really political here. I have found a man. Arioch didn't find him at all. <laughs> Daniel came to him. But we have Arioch here. He's not saved, right? He's, a, he's old Babylonian. Oh, king, I found a man. <laughs> it's amazing. A little politics here, you know. And so um, um, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. I'm sure Arioch was a hoping for some great reward out of that. <laughs> the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. Do you sense just a little bit of, um, little bit of <laughs> making a point there? <laughs> <laughs> you know, see, Daniel, he was wise and he was tactful, but he was also bold. And he took advantage of that opportunity to say, uh, King, just by the way, just thought as I begin here, I'd like to remind you that the astrologers weren't able to do this. <laughs> you know, so I got a kick out of that. Verse 28, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. So he's already kind of letting him in on the fact that this, this is an important dream, which probably Nebuchadnezzar sensed. And it's a dream about what will happen in the latter days. And actually we'll see what this dream really relates to is the entire time of what the Bible calls the time of the Gentiles. It's a panoramic dream of the entire time of what the Bible calls in Luke 24, the time of the Gentiles, during which time the Jewish nation of Israel has been scattered. And uh, actually, from this very time right here until 1948, Israel was not a nation. All, that, all those hundreds and hundreds of years. 
And that's been the time of the Gentiles. And it's only been since 1948 that Israel has been a nation again. I mean, that's a miracle, folks. There's never been a nation in the history of planet Earth that was scattered and destroyed as a nation and conquered and defeated and gone away into captivity that ceased to be a nation for that long and then came back and became a nation again. There's only one reason that's happened. It's God. (laughs) And it's because he does have his hand on Israel. And he does have a special purpose for that nation. They didn't fulfill their purpose, you know, under the old covenant, and they suffered judgment because of that. But because of God's callings, or the Bible says without repentance, he still has a purpose and a plan for Israel, and he's going to call Israel back to himself. But out of there... Romans 11 talks about this. I'm starting to get off the subject a little bit here. But Romans 11 talks about the falling away of the Jews was the opening of the door for us Gentiles. And he said, oh, the depths and the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. You know? So it's, it's just awesome how God does things. But anyway, so Daniel already begins telling him that this dream is going to be what will happen in the latter days. And, of course, he's exalting God which that's good too. See, Daniel's not being super spiritual here. He's just taking advantage of the situation to point out that the astrologers didn't have the answers and that the God of heaven did. Daniel was a very skilled and anointed witness. <laughs> and you know, God will do the same for you. You know, whether you, you don't, whatever, whatever your career or whatever, you know, your place in life, God will give you wisdom and knowledge also to be able to, and give you situations and divine appointments to share about the Lord. So Daniel does a good job here, and there's a God in heaven. He's, he's, he's making it clear. He's not taking any credit himself. You know, he's giving the glory to God. He's saying the answer has come from God. And he said, the Lord has shown you um, what will be in the latter days, your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed. <laughs> like, is that good? The visions of your head upon your bed. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar had had that dream, and he was very troubled. And... Um, But Daniel had both the dream and the interpretation. Verse 29, as for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. So it's futuristic from now, from then. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. And God is, that's one of the big meanings of prophecy is that God shows us what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. So he, again, Daniel is very humble. Real important as Christians that we, can, you know, we need to learn the difference between boldness and confidence and pride. Um, there are some people, even some Christians that get famous on Christian television, it's a very easy thing to slip over into pride if they're not careful. And there's a difference between boldness and confidence and pride. Pride is where you somehow think you're doing something. (laughs) Humility recognizes it's God. But you know what? If you're truly humble, you can be bold because how many of you know you can be bold when you know the God of heaven is behind you? You know, when you really know you're doing what he wants you to do. You know, and that's what Daniel knew. He knew, and he said, well, he said, King, the Lord did this for two reasons. One, for our sakes. In other words, the Lord bailed me out here because otherwise I'd be dead meat. You know, if God didn't show me that dream to, to tell you, I'd be dead. So he's saying, first of all, my God did it for me, but he also did it for you because he wants you to know what's 
going to happen. So it's kind of a way to, he's, re, he's, he's saying God is taking care of me, but not only that, Nebuchadnezzar, the God of heaven loves you. He wants to say something to you, you know? And um, uh, who knows why God gave Nebuchadnezzar this dream? I think probably he gave it to Nebuchadnezzar, maybe just to build that relationship between him and Daniel and, and, and have it as an opportunity for God to touch Nebuchadnezzar, you know? And because um, later on in the story here, Nebuchadnezzar starts glorifying God. Doesn't last, but you know, at least at least it's uh, it um, you know he was glorifying the Lord. All right. So the secret has been revealed to me, uh, not because of my wisdom, and um, but for our sakes, and um, that you may know the thoughts of your heart. And then he starts into it. You, O King, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. The image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. Gone with the wind. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. Remember how we said earlier that Daniel in his prayer said that, that he raises up kings and he, and he puts them down. So Daniel's acknowledging that the reason Nebuchadnezzar's in power is only because of God. And wherever the children of men dwell, of the beasts of the field and the birds of, of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. <laughs> that was... That was a bad thing to tell Nebuchadnezzar, you know what I mean? Because he, he didn't have the humility yet of a person serving God. And we'll see that a little bit later. <laughs> it's really, it's all comical, but it's, of course, very, very, very affected a lot of lives. Verse 39, but after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever." 
Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is true. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king, or literally in the king's court. And so um, that's an awesome story, you know. And uh, Daniel, here's, here's a man in a secular society, and he's prophesying for the Lord, and, and, and God has given him favor, you know. And, um, you know, we need, to, we need to believe, too, that God uh, can give us favor in America. Amen? And really use us as Christians. I mean, I, I kind of want to go one of two ways. Either change America or let him cut my head off. One of the two, you know. I'm not going to sit in some lukewarm situation. I, my life is too interesting for that, and it would be too boring for me. So, I, you know, I plan to just do everything I can. You know, again, you don't do it in some super spiritual weird way. You do it like Daniel did. Great tact and great wisdom, but you recognize the power of the Holy Spirit, and you recognize the power of prophecy. And, you know, God may not give us a dream like he gave Daniel, but I do believe the same God who blessed Daniel will give us things to help our community and help our nation. So anyway, let's talk about the dream, though, because this is a prophetic dream in the Bible. If you have that picture of your statue there, let's, um, let's deal with the interpretation. I'll give you a few dates here. Now, Daniel said the head of gold was um, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. And um, actually, what this, what this really represents here is Babylon became a great kingdom at that time. And as I said, Israel had already gone into captivity to Assyria, Babylon, was gobbling up Assyria, and um, Judah was going into captivity to Babylon. So at that time, I'm, I'm sure some of you have heard of the Babylonian gardens, and you know, there's a lot of prophecy in Babylon from a negative sense about how you know, they, they didn't serve God. But it, nevertheless, it was the, in the early, um, early times of the Gentiles, after the fall of Israel, it was the largest, most far-reaching um, world power, and it was a Gentile world power. You know, Israel, again, God wanted Israel to become a light in the world, and she, because of not obeying God, she went into captivity to these Gentile powers. And so uh, Jesus talked in Luke 24, let me give you this reference, Luke, I'm sorry, Luke 21, verse 24, and he said that um, certain things are going to continue on until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And that, that in Luke 21 and Matthew 24 is where he started giving some of the prophecies about Israel becoming a nation again. And, uh, and he, 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 would, he was not done, uh, you know, working with the Jewish people. But up until that time, and th this time right now, this is at 609 B.C. And Babylon was in power from 609 B.C. to 539 B.C. Very strong, you know, Gentile kingdom, very authoritarian 
um, obviously with, you know, here's King Nebuchadnezzar saying, okay, if you don't interpret this dream, I'm just going gonna, gonna to kill you and burn your house. You know, the President of the United States couldn't say something like that, obviously. So this was, a, this was, in Gentile terms, this was the head of gold, very authoritarian, very domineering, very far-reaching kingdom of Babylon. And um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar w- was king of it at that time. And then in the dream, the, he, he saw the, the chest of silver. And the next major Gentile kingdom that, and this is just all history I'm giving you. That's really all I'm giving you is history from, I mean, this, this stuff has all happened now. Um, was the kingdom of uh, Medo-Persia or Media-Persia. And it's also the whole idea of the two arms there. You know, the, the two arms of the statue uh, were silver. And the idea of the two arms fits with the historical significance that it was the kingdoms of Media and Persia. They were really one kingdom, but it was kind of like two arms of the same kingdom. And uh, it's most commonly referred to historically as Medo-Persia. And that went from 539 to 331 B.C., a couple hundred years. And um, that, again, was a very strong Gentile kingdom. Um, you know, they, uh, they conquered Babylon as Babylon degenerated. And um, they were a very, a very a powerful Gentile kingdom in their day. Then the next part of the statue is the belly and the thighs uh, of brass. And uh, the kingdom that followed Medo-Persia was Greece. And uh, Greece was also, you know, a very strong Gentile kingdom. But what I want you to notice is happening here is there's a degradation of the quality of the metal as as the statue goes down. And so when Israel backslid and they didn't fulfill their role with God, we have the the Gentile kingdom of Babylon, which was very powerful, you know, and, and very authoritarian and ruled over all the earth. Um, what's happening, you know, with, with each move down the statue is the Gentile kingdoms are having, we could say, less, less power in a sense, less cohesiveness, you know, less um, uh, glory, let's say it that way, okay? And so the, this third um, kingdom is Greece, and they went from 331 to 168 B.C., and Alexander the Great was the one who um, conquered the Persians and um, uh, who established, you know, and, and expanded the kingdom of Greece. And then the legs of iron, um, the fourth kingdom, fourth Gentile kingdom, we're moving up in history here, represents Rome. And by the way, almost this, this is not that, um, this particular dream is, is nothing that even is that dramatic in terms of that most 99% of Bible scholars pretty much agree what I'm telling you here. There is a few of the visions that we get into farther back in Daniel, and there's maybe, you know, different interpretations, but, but this is almost, you know, almost every Bible scholar, unless they just don't believe the Bible, you know, um, but if they believe in the inspiration of the Scriptures, they, they will pretty much give you what I'm giving you here. And uh, Rome, of course, was, had an had a eastern and a western side, some people used to call it a northern and a southern side. But, um, you know, it's, it, ultimately, after the church got established, it, you know, the, the eastern kingdom became the um, Greek Orthodox Church, Byzantine and all that, the, the eastern church. And then the western church, of course, had its capital at Rome. And so the two legs are kind of like the two, uh, two parts of the Roman kingdom, but yet it was one kingdom. You know, it was one was one empire, and you know the whole idea. And then think about this. Think about this vision and this dream. 
that Daniel's interpreting, it says here that iron will be strong, you know. And Rome was known for their harshness. You know, Rome was, the, they were the ones that invented crucifixion. You know, they were known for their brutality. Now, it just, to me, that's just amazing that this dream that God gives Nebuchadnezzar hundreds of years before the Roman Empire exists. And when Rome comes along, it perfectly fulfills the dream and the vision. Now, how people can see that, you know, and not, um, not believe in the power of prophecy and not believe in the power of the Bible is just beyond me. But it fits so perfectly. And even the two arms of Medo-Persia, you know, that, that fit the two halves of the kingdom. And so, anyway, the legs of iron there. Rome went from 168 B.C. to 476 A.D. Longest running um, Gentile kingdom. And actually, we have, even today, what, where we go from there is the legs start degenerating into iron and clay. And, and I mean, even, and, and, and then, then into the ten toes. And so, um, you know, what we're having now is, you know, Rome really, even though Rome was defeated by the barbarians, we still have kind of the remnants of the Roman Empire left over there in Europe. And now we call it the European Union. And, but guess what? It's like, it's like what the, exactly what the dream says. It's like it's kind of fragile. There is some strength in it, but it's fragile. It doesn't stick together, you know? It's got no strength to it. Doesn't that perfectly describe Europe today? This doesn't want to stick together, but then there's no strength in it, you know? And, it, and, and so in the days of those toes, and there's ten toes, and um, I think some Bible scholars get too hung up and they're, they're trying to count exactly the number of countries that are in the, in the uh, European Union, which I think actually there's 25 right now or something like that. I think the 10 toes are representing the major players. There's 10 major players that are going to be involved in Europe. Um, and we'll, we'll get into some other parts of Daniel here where, where we'll see that it's going to be in that area over there that um, where Antichrist will begin to, you know, establish his kingdom. But that's not going to really be a Gentile kingdom. I mean, Antichrist is coming with the power of the devil, you know. So he is going to enter through the remnants of the, of the uh, Gentile kingdom that's there through those ten toes. But nevertheless, what's really happening is that, I mean, just think how, how hard, <laughs> just look around the world today. How hard is it to get any kind of unity between nations? I mean, you know, none of them will agree. None of them stick together. And so what's happening is there's this degradation in the world of Gentile power. And it's getting rougher and rougher, you know. And um, America really can, <coughs> has an opportunity. I like to call America a Gentile Israel. You know, I mean, America is not Israel. Jesus was a Jew. He wasn't an American. And so we know God's plan for Israel is going to go forward. And we'll, we'll talk more about that in the weeks ahead. But um, still... Of the Gentile nations, you know, and of the Gentile powers. And what's interesting is America really is not part of those ten toes because those are over in Europe. So really, I'll be honest with you, as I look through the scriptures, I don't find, I mean, you, you can find a few scriptures that maybe apply to America, that could apply to America, but in many ways, there's not, definitely not a lot of scriptures that you can apply to America prophetically. And I think one of the reasons that is, is that God has kind of left it open. You know, he's saying, okay, you know, how, how much do you want me to use you? You know, and I, I believe that, that um, God can use America in these days 
to touch people for Christ. But I do believe we have to listen to him and we have to obey him. Because what was it? What was it the Lord told Esther? He said, well, or, or Mordecai told Esther, you know, he said, who knows whether you've been brought into the kingdom for such a time and a place as this. But, it, you know, if you don't, God will raise up deliverance from another place. So we have an opportunity, I believe, you know, um, you know, to make a difference in our world and uh, to, to reach people for Christ. But, but we're not going to stop prophecy. Ultimately, the Gentile kingdoms are going to crumble. The time of the Gentiles will come to an end, and the whole thing will begin to come together. Antichrist, Israel, Armageddon, the whole deal. <laughs> you know, and there's a lot more in Daniel that talks about that. But this first dream here that Nebuchadnezzar had is, is just really, it's a panorama of history, you know, of the times of the Gentiles. And then what we have at the very end of the dream is the stone cut out without hands, and we know who the stone is. Who's our rock? Christ, right? There's a stone cut out without hands. That means it's, it's not a political power we're going to dream up. It's not some leader we're going to put in. I mean, praise God for Christian leaders. We need that. But this, this whole picture here of this dream in the end of the age is not going to be something we're going to do. It's going to be something God's going to do. And Jesus is going to come, and, and when, he, when it says the stone hits the statue at the bottom. So that tells us that Christ is going to come in the time of the ten toes. He didn't come in the time of Babylon. He's going to come in the time of the ten toes. Well, guess what, folks? Uh, Babylon's gone. Medo-Persia's gone. Greece is gone. Rome is gone. Can any of you say it's getting closer? <laughs> and so, you know... This is a very, as I said, a wide panoramic dream. But to me, it's an amazing dream. Literally, this is back 600 B.C. This is 2,600 years ago. And here we are looking now back through history, seeing a perfect fulfillment of a dream given to a king that was recorded in the Bible 2,600 years ago. Now, if that's not a mind blower, I don't know what is. I mean, if that doesn't make you believe in prophecy, then I don't know what can, you know. But uh, to me, it's an awesome, awesome dream, you know. And um, so you have the whole iron from Rome. And even though Rome fell, Europe kind of never really, it never, th that whole area over there, that's where Rome ruled was that, that uh, crescent, what they say is called the Fertile Crescent. And so that's the same area now that you have, um, that you have Europe in. And so it's going to be a very, very much a center. And, of course, we already know what's, everything that's going on in Israel that's a big center of a lot of things happening. And so it's going to be in the time of those, those ten toes that uh, the rock will hit, the, hit it. The, 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 all those nations will, will be crumbled like dust. And then it says a mountain will fill the earth. And guess what that's going to be? The kingdom of God. That's the millennium. That's when Christ comes back to rule and reign on the earth. And um, we're getting closer to it. So anyway, you guys find that interesting? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm three minutes late right now. I'm going to stop there because we've really covered those first two chapters. And so there's some great stuff in there, you know, prophetically and, and about history and also some great stuff to encourage us to walk close to the Lord like Daniel did. Anybody have any questions? Questions, comments, um, anything that you'd like to know or ask or something like that? Not that I'll have the answer, but <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes.
Yeah, I mean, I, there's a couple of different explanations for that. Some people, um, there's also another place over in Jeremiah where it says they went into captivity in the, let me see, this says here the um, third year. I think Jeremiah says the fourth year. And uh, some Bible scholars say they, there's different ways of how they actually record the reign of a king how many years he's been reigning. But I, if we just take also a very simple approach, it could be very well that Nebuchadnezzar was sitting on that for a while. In other words, he had the dream, um, and uh, it says he was troubled in his spirit, but it doesn't say how long he really took before he you know, went to the wise men. It could have been... Um, there's also a verse here that says he has dreams, plural. Yeah, look in chapter 2, verse 1. It says, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar has had dreams, plural. So uh, some scholars feel that this was a recurring dream and that maybe the first time he had it, you know. How many of you know there's God dreams and then there's pizza dreams? You know, and um, so maybe Nebuchadnezzar thought, well, this is a wine dream or a pizza dream, you know. But if it kept coming back, plural, you know, then it may have taken him a year, two years to really say, hey, I think this is really something, you know. I mean, obviously, God's given him this dream of all the history of the Gentiles. It, probably just the spiritual import of that, you know, I'm sure was having an effect on him. But it, but it may have taken him a couple years, you know, to really, um, it's kind of like us. We may have an event happen in our life, and we, we chew on it, stew on it, whatever, for a couple years, and we may not even really face it or deal with it for a few years or, or even understand what's going on. So I think probably that's the most logical explanation, but there is a couple of places in the Bible where it talks about in the third year of some king, and Bible scholars say that different, different people count years of kings differently. So the way Daniel counted those years, although this is, this is Daniel's writing, so it would be, it would be, you wouldn't think it would change you know, uh, within the same book, but it definitely something that can change from book to book. Like Jeremiah might count, count the years slightly different than Daniel might. But um, I think probably the most logical explanation there is just that he sat on it for a while. Any other questions? Questions, thoughts, comments? Fun reading, isn't it? You know, it's really a... I enjoy reading, enjoy reading prophetic books. There's some neat stories in here, too. Okay, um, yes, yes, sir. Dave. Yeah, you know, I mean, like in this particular dream, there's, there's not much coral. I mean, there's not much in Revelation that relates to this dream. But as we get further along here, particularly um, chapters 9 to 12, you know, which I just lumped together as prophecy of the end times, um, though, and there is some correlation in chapters 7 and 8 also. But chapters 9 to 12 especially, you know, really tie in a lot with, um, with not only Revelation but Matthew 24. And, um, you know, get into some interesting stuff there. So, uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, as we get closer to that, I mean, just to give you my kind of own little philosophy on the end times, um, I think there's a lot we can learn about the end times, of course, from studying Scripture because there's a lot of prophecy about it. But if you look at the first coming of Christ and you look at some of the prophecies that were fulfilled, like out of Egypt I've called my son and Rachel weeping over her children. I'll be honest with you, I don't think there's any way, if you're looking 100 years before that happened, that you could figure it out, unless you had direct, supernatural, sovereign revelation from God. I mean, just by reading the Scriptures alone, I don't think you could figure that out. And uh, then the times where people came into the temple at the first coming of Christ, 
and they recognized Christ with Anna and Simeon. It says they came into the temple by the Spirit. And so what I'm going to say this about the end times, as much as we can learn from studying the Scriptures, you know, if just with our mind we start trying to make our perfect little chart, we'll probably miss it. Because I don't believe you can ever be in the right place at the right time without the help of the Holy Spirit. Because God not only just gives you a road map, He does kind of give us a road map, but guess what? He also is a personal guide. He's the paraclete, one that walks alongside us. So, so just as it was totally impossible, I think, to absolutely figure out everything that was going to happen, the way it happened in the first coming, I believe that same thing about the second coming. That you can't perfectly know exactly everything that's going to happen, how it's going to happen, but you can learn a lot about it. And then you just, after that, you have to still stay close to the Lord so you can be led by the Spirit. If any of you were around here at Victory, I, I did a midweek service series on the book of Revelation one time. It was about, I don't know, 10 or 12 weeks or something like that. And so at the very beginning of the series, I actually was kind of chiding and, I'll say, making a little fun of people that had all their charts. Guess what happened by the time I finished? I had a chart. <laughs> and I, I did have many disclaimers. I said, now, folks, I'm not saying this is right or this is it, but I have to admit I did have a chart. So it's kind of got a way of just getting inside you and kind of just making you think, you know. <laughs> but even though I thought my chart was right, and I probably still think it's right, you know, you know I still would say unequivocally, I, don't, I, I would never stand up and say I know everything's going to happen exactly the way it's going to happen because I think you just got to have the help of the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, Ray. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no question in my mind that because it's the remnants of the Roman kingdom that those ten toes are related to the, the European Union, the common market, and all that. What I, what I tend to not get hung up on is, is, is some people think that, well, it can't happen until there's only ten nations there. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I think the ten toes probably represents the major players. You know, um, So I, I don't think, and not only that, but it's kind of a, um, a snapshot of time, you know. I mean, Rome had different districts. Who knows what kind of crazy uh, organization the, the European Union will come up with in five or ten years. We don't know. So um, I wouldn't get too hung up on the ten to say that, that, it, that it can't happen if there's 15, 20 members of the, of the, East, of the European Union because, um, uh, you know, that's, that's maybe nailing it down tighter than, than maybe, um, you know, God would have. I mean, you just, I think it's something you just have to be open to. Yes. Yeah, well, well, I'll reserve that till we get toward the end of the book here because that, we definitely will touch on some things with that. Because in chapters 7, 8, and 9 to 12, some of those things start to correlate a little bit more. And um, we'll have some interesting thoughts there. So, Okay. I'm now 11 minutes late, so Mike's anxiously waiting to push the button. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you for coming. God bless you. Have a great night. Father, bless your people. Let them just uh, be encouraged and strengthened tonight by the power of the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen.